Maya Angelou writes that each time a woman stands up for herself without knowing it, possibly, without aiming it, she stands up for all women. And so it's a great honor to introduce you to some of the women of courage and inspiration that I'm privileged to know. And whilst each of these stories is rich, I'm just going to offer a small snippet by means of an introduction. Could I ask you all to put yourselves on mute um, just for the, the time being? Thank you. Um, sorry, so Nikki, Rabbi before, Julia Margolis. Before you start, Nikki, sorry, um, Louise is still struggling with um, internet. Oh, is she? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I'm back. Oh, there you are. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, right. guys. Thanks. Thank you for coming back. So Rabbi Julia Margolis um, is a female rabbi in South Africa. And for a time, she was the only female rabbi in South Africa. She's raised in a family with deep roots in the reform movement. Her mother, Rabbi Elena Rubinstein, was the first Russian-speaking rabbi in Israel. She's a member of the South African Association for Progressive Rabbis. So we welcome Julia. Najma Kota is a pioneer of Muslim women's voices in the media industry. She's one of the first Muslim women on air in South Africa. She founded a community radio station and co-founded two others. She's currently working as a therapist, a wellness practitioner, and motivational speaker. Reverend Louise Wernig is the senior minister of a large Methodist congregation in the East Brand. She is one of very few women to hold this, this role, this position. She served in full-time ministry since the age of 18. She's married to Charlie, who's also a Methodist minister, and they have two beautiful children. And Reverend Diane Woolman is an ordained Roman Catholic priest and belongs to the Roman Catholic Priest, a Women's Priest International Association. She's one of only four women priests in South Africa. She's also Deputy Director of Public Prosecutions in the National Prosecuting Authority, just, just for, for um, her day job. Um, we're also honored to, to welcome Bishop Patricia Friesen um, from the Women Catholic Priests um, to be with us today as well. So the outline for today is going to be conversational and relaxed. We had hoped to be able to do this in person around cups of coffee and sitting comfortably so we can just all imagine um, that that's exactly where we are today. Um, I have some questions that we'll start with. Um, you be, you're welcome to use the chat function, um, if you all know where that is. If you hover your mouse at the bottom of the screen, there's a button that comes up that says chat. And you're welcome to offer your questions and comments as we talk. And then when there's kind of a lull in the conversation, we'll, we'll hand it over to you and you'll be able to ask your questions to, to these four inspirational women as well. So, to our guests, what has given you the courage to pursue and stand firmly in what you know to be your calling to the work? 
and maybe we can start with Louise. Um, thanks, Nikki. Sure. Welcome. Thank you, everybody, for having us. Uh, for me, I think what's helped me stand firm in my calling is remembering my first call. You know, my first call was a dream where I was asked to go and share the, the story of God to people. And there have been many moments in my life where I wanted to stop doing that. But then I always go back to that original call. You know, I was 17 when I received it. And I constantly go back to that original call, this feeling, the sense that I have to tell people about God. That, it's, that is what's kept me going over and over, uh, together with friendships and deep relationships with people who hold me accountable, who encourage me. Uh, if it wasn't for them, I think I would have given up a long time ago. So I'd say those two things. It's just holding on to my original call that I received and then the people that I surround myself with that have supported me. Thanks, Louise. For you, Rabbi. Thank you for the question. I think it's a, it's a complicated one. But, um, I believe that my parents actually, those that I can say that they gave me this greatest gift that parent can give to a child because they they always encouraged me to dream they always encouraged me to to try and to dare to do whatever I would like to and I think also my mother um, has a very big impact on me you know my mom um, and and you know she I remember from her childhood that when her parents sent her to university to study something um, that she did not want to, and and it just wouldn't work. So I think they didn't think that it's possible for me to do something that um, I wouldn't be able to enjoy because I um, always had a passion about Bible, about history, about learning more, and they always encouraged me. So your parents. Mm. Thanks, Julia. For you, Najma? Uh, well, firstly, thank you so much for this opportunity and uh, peace be upon you too. Alaikum salam, shalom, and uh, just lovely to be in this company. Yes, I'm going to imagine I'm in a company with you, right? Nicole, thanks for this opportunity. Uh, I think for me, it was a passion driven, very much so, because um, it was something I really wanted to do. And um, because during the apartheid era, we were not given much opportunity or those types of platforms and those opportunities in terms of career. So as soon as the opportunity arose, um, you know, I, I, I pursued it and then was a pleasant surprise actually looking back and shocked in, in, in finding out that uh, women were not allowed to um, be heard on radio. So the voices were very part of Thank you. 
Diane, how about you? Thanks, Nikki. Um, I am noticing that quite a few people can't hear Najma, but um, yeah, maybe that's, that's a technical thing that will recover. So thank you, Nikki, for the invitation and hello to everyone out there. Um, so lovely to see you all. I think, well, everything that um, uh, my friends have just said would speak for me as well. Um, I would add a sense of God's love, being the beloved of God, being loved by God so intimately that it sustains, it nurtures, it nourishes. Um, and it also, I think, gives you a sense or maybe a strong sense of what is right and wrong in the world, that injustice treatment of people that is anything less than their dignity is not okay. So I think already maybe just through your introduction, you can hear that I'm very justice orientated. I'm in the prosecution, I'm fighting crime, I'm trying to do my bit uh, for the country. So that for me really strikes uh, at, at my core um, and sustains me that need is there and we need to continue to, to fight. Um, and I think another part of me is that I'm action orientated. So don't just speak, live the change that you wish to see. Thanks, Diane. And I'm just wondering for, for each of you, what, what some of the obstacles have been that you've had to overcome to get where you are today? Would you like to go first, Diane? <laughs> What made it look like I wanted to go first? <laughs> okay, we'll all have a turn. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, that's fine. Um, sorry, your question, what obstacles? I think a, a couple in, in my case, because uh, this decision to be ordained um, in the Catholic Church through this movement, Roman Catholic Woman Priest Movement, um, carries an automatic penalty of excommunication. Uh, so it is, it is a drastic measure. It's um, worse than pedophiles get. So women who are ordained or who attempt to be ordained um, are automatically excommunicated. So that was something I, I needed to just journey with. Um, and yeah, for me, it's a small penalty to bear uh, for the greater good, for the importance, for the fulfillment of what is a deep call within me. Um, so, yeah, there was, there was grief around that. There was experiencing pain and, and a loss in a sense of the traditional, my, my parish, for example, that I attended. Uh, it's not that I'm unwelcome, but I wouldn't be able to receive communion, for example. So um, that would, would have been the biggest obstacle for me that I would uh, needed to have, uh, overcome. Mm. Sure. So as serious as being excommunicated from your faith community for following a call. Sure. Mm. Thanks, Diane. Bye-bye. Yeah, Diane and you should write a book about <laughs> <laughs> our journey is very much um, between the same lines. I think uh, for me, there were a few obstacles, especially here in South Africa, is that when people will be standing in front of me and saying, oh, no, but you're not really a rabbi. And I will say, but I'm standing in front of you. And they will say, 
no, you're probably married to a rabbi, or, you know, things like that. Um, they will say to me things that, um, you know, you, women cannot be rabbis. And it's not true because um, nowhere does it say that women cannot be rabbis. That's also quite important to remember. Or people will say, um, I never saw a woman rabbi. And I will say, I hope that I'm not the last one that you will see. And this is really my hope. But also things, um, it, it's been very challenging, for example, to officiate um, funerals or weddings because people, and, and, and I wonder sometimes if they would be saying the same thing to a man, um, they feel quite comfortable to say, I, my father, mother, whatever, were orthodox and you do not look like a man with a beard. So how can we have you um, doing our, someone's wedding or funeral? And it just strikes me always, you know, they, they feel okay to say those sentences to me, but I don't think they will say it to other people. And actually even um, a few days ago, I got invitation to participate in um, in a conference and the invitation it says Julia <laughs> there's no rabbi nothing but there are but they do talk about my colleagues and then they will say rabbi xyz but I'm Julia <laughs> so um, I mean there was like a lot of ridiculous things um, like emails from congregants um, oh, she has curly hair, or she's beautiful. Um, I wonder what men think when they come to show. And if it was a young, I don't know, minister or a young um, rabbi, would they send the same email? I wonder. But mm. also I think, um, you know, it just to know that you do have people that they will be supporting you 100% and they will be answering questions and they will be you know there to to be there for you i think that's the most important thing mm -hmm. and they understand that it's all nonsense and i always said and i think i will always say is that i do not believe that this is how god intended um that women will be treated and i will continue saying it unfortunately for many more years because i just don't see that this will be disappearing somewhere quite soon mm. Sure. So for you and for Diane, a real sense of, um, of patriarchy, the, the system of patriarchy um, being an obstacle to both of you following your, your call to ministry. Sure. Maybe Thank Nikki, just, just to add, and it flows from what Rabbi Julia was saying, in, in, in our case, um, uh, the, the saying goes that the, uh, when, at ordination that it can't take in a woman. So it just simply can't happen in a woman. This Holy Spirit somehow gets to the, the body and discovers it's a female body and just suddenly can't ordain someone, a, a priest. I mean, it's, it's, it can get a bit ridiculous. Mm, sure. And, and for you, Najma, also um, finding out that as, as a Muslim woman that your voice was not supposed to be heard or not intended to be heard, what, so what were some of the obstacles that, that you faced? Okay, I just want to go back to the first question because I believe uh, not everyone could hear me. So if I'm clearer now, just in a nutshell, uh, my session was driven by, um, I mean, sorry, my, my, my the, 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 just the courage that I needed to uh, pursue this career was, of course, uh, to 
um, you know, I don't think, I'm not a religious scholar, but I think the patriarchy should become so apparent when I um, pursued my career and saw that, you know, I was allowed. And I think that the obstacle is very rigid. So many were just kept coming. And I think the most difficult one was not having support from extended family, for example, because now you're going against the theology and, um, and then it became worse when you become ostracized and um, labeled and um, it was very difficult. But I think uh, eventually when you do uh, know that, you know, this is something that's believable and you're driven by it and, and I think the most important thing to overcome that was to realize for myself that this actually was true about Muslim uh, women. And Islam did obviously give us the freedom to do what we wanted to in, in that regard or in that context. So I think then I grew the support of people that believed in the same thing. And fortunately, I overcame those. But uh, for the many years, it spanned over uh, actively about 19 to 20 years that I had ongoing even though I, well, I then initiated the voice of on air and um, I became the first woman to speak on air and I encouraged others and became a rule, in fact, with um, the community radio station that uh, was uh, very much against uh, women being on air. Today, as we speak, there are women participants there. In fact, the women's movement is taking as well. So I think with, with um, having done that, um, we see that the fruits of what I struggled with, uh, I, I, I'm seeing the benefit of it. However, there still being that, um, you know, that label attached to uh, perhaps being progressive, if that's the term that uh, I think we always face. <laughs> and I think, uh, Rabbi, and uh, your guests can uh, definitely relate to that as well. Mm. Thanks, Najimus. So a real sense that even family, extended family, um, became an obstacle um, because you were doing something that was really groundbreaking in, in the context of, of your faith community. Correct. And I think what was even uh, more um, of a learning experience for me is that I didn't grow up in a family where, you know, we were treated any different from my brothers or uh, I grew up in a very balanced sort of environment. And yet, when it came to that, then, um, you know, because you were either loved or hated, and this could be coming from us as well at the same time. But yeah, I think for me, that was the most difficult uh, to overcome just mm -hmm. the outset. But of sure. course, then, um, overcame sure. that as well. Then. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so, so much. So I'm just seeing that. But people still um, are, are struggling to, to hear you, Najma. I don't know if you have access to um, some earphones or if you're able to um, come a bit closer to, to your computer. Okay, let me, let me try that. Is that a bit better? Yeah, but I think that's... Closer, but I don't know. Is that better for everyone? Sorry, Najma, if you can just adjust the volume on your computer upwards. I did, yes. Um, Thank you. I did. It's at its maximum. Um, is that a bit better, though? Or shall I just speak up a bit? That, that would work. Um, yeah? Yeah. I think if, if you could. 
So I don't know if there's anything um, that, that you may feel you'd like to, to repeat. Um, you spoke about those closest to you not really being supportive um, because it was um, against what was accepted. Um, is there anything you'd like to add just so that people who didn't feel they heard you might have an opportunity to hear you say? Certainly. So, um, as I said, that in terms of obstacles, I think overcoming the initial um, ostracization and labeling um, mm. was very, very difficult because um, you know, initially it was believed, a general belief, that uh, women were not allowed to speak on air, or the voices were not allowed to be heard. And um, so I, ha I, I did my own research and I marked up. Uh, support with like-minded people and uh, with that then in fact we, we proved that it's in fact not an Islamic ruling and as we speak today we have women on a on community radio stations, Islamic community radio stations and community television stations as well. So uh, but, any, uh, but I was saying that over the span of about 19 to 20 years in that career there was ongoing obstacles. I was always limited to the type of topics um, I would choose um, uh, to speak about. And um, I, I found that the more I raised issues of uh, women and women equality and uh, just the societal, um, you know, setbacks and so on, the, 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 uh, the stigma around saying certain things, uh, I either got support or I didn't. So, you know, it was an infamous one as well. However, what was very, very interesting is that the more I did that, the more uh, people, uh, mainly women, would call me up after the show, because I always had live shows, and would, 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 would agree with me on, 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 on lots of things, you know, that I raised as taboo subjects. And I suppose for that reason, I became more and more controversial, and then became this rebel, you know, within society. <laughs> and, uh, well, I stand here still as a rebel because I'm talking to you today. <laughs> and, I, and, and I have very, very special, special Jewish rabbi friends whom I love to put. So, um, yeah, I'm still a rebel. Mm. But I believe in my principles. Well, and I think we welcome that about you. <laughs> Pardon? I said, we welcome that about you, being a rebel. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> How about you, Louise? Um, I know that within the Methodist Church, we've been um, ordaining women um, ministers for, I think it's 100 years now. Um, I think it's 40. Oh, 40. Jeez, where did I get 100 from? <laughs> okay, for 40 years. Um, but within in the Methodist um, you know that within Methodism what have been some of the obstacles that, that you've encountered um, thank you Nikki yeah I, you know I can relate uh, something that Rabbi Julia said um, as well as Diane um, even Najma you know a lot of the uh, patriarchy you know so for example um, ministers we, we all get stipends from the Methodist church and then the local church will, will pay you like a stipend. And most times every church I've been in, 
Um, I've always earned less than my male colleagues, even though I've been more experienced and more qualified. Uh, at one point, I was a minister at a church and I had any, somebody who worked for me. So he reported to me and the church paid him a higher salary than me. And when I questioned it, I was told that uh, he has to support his family. And I kind of thought like, well, what do I have? <laughs> um, you know, so that has been interesting. Once, once one of the leadership, the leadership of a specific church called me in and said like, that they really appreciate my work and they would love to give me an increase. Uh, so I was quite excited. And then they said to me, what does your husband earn? Because they knew he was at a separate church. So I said, what has that got to do with it? And they said they could never pay me more than him because it would be offensive. <laughs> um, wow. I've also had uh, quite a lot of people say that they've left the church purely because I'm a woman. Uh, so before they ever heard me speak or, or preach in any way, they decided to leave the church because I was female. Um, I've had male colleagues, some of them have been amazing, others have been terrible. The ones I was at a, at a work function with male colleagues and the one male colleague said to me, you don't belong here, please go wash the dishes in the kitchen. Uh, so sure. I did challenge him and say, why? So he says, we're the hunters and you should be the ones that prepare the food. So I said, well, when you bring me a buck that you've killed, I'll cook it. <laughs> um, so, I've also had uh, moments where, where people comment on what I look like all the time, you know, what I wear. So I'll wear pants and people will say, oh, you shouldn't wear pants in church. Uh, you should wear a skirt. Then I'll wear a skirt. And people say, when you wear a skirt, the men can't concentrate. Um, you know, I've had, wow. uh, <laughs> um, I've also had where I've done funeral interviews where I meet with families and halfway through the interview, the family will turn around and say, when are we going to meet the real minister? You must be the secretary. Um, you know, so, so it's all that kind of just the sense that, that as a woman, I should not be in ministry. And then when people kind of go like, oh, so you are a woman in ministry, then the next response is, but then surely you shouldn't look like or act like a woman it's like you know can't you be less feminine and i'm like well i can't i'm a woman um this is who i am so so that has been a, a few struggles just this week i had a moment where uh, somebody wanted to interview someone from northfield that's the church that i serve at so they the, someone was doing a doctorate thesis and they said that they wanted to interview leaders who've managed to lead the churches through the pandemic of COVID. Um, and so they would really like to interview the leader of Northfield. And so they approached my male colleague, even though I'm the senior minister, but somehow because he's a man, it would have been easier for them to, to and he, he, you know, I'm the senior minister, but they approached my male colleague because somehow that's, I don't know, maybe he has more to say than me, I don't know. So yeah, those have been my struggles. It's just the sense, and also trying to juggle family and expectations of being a mom uh, while being a minister has been, it's been challenging. So even in 2020, sexism is alive and well. Yeah. Sure. So perhaps I can start with you, Louise, as I ask the next question. Um, what do women bring to the work and to, to ministry that wasn't there before? What do you think that might be? 
Wow. I wish with this one you had started with someone else, actually. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think everybody brings something unique, you know. So, so to generalize and say this is what women bring. But, but the one thing I must say is almost I get the sense that we bring a certain intuition that my male colleagues don't necessarily have this like this going on feeling um also also a sense of softness like you know i'm not as perhaps hard as some of my male colleagues that i've worked with um so i i tend to i feel like women are a little bit more gracious and we understand we understand what it is to be to go through some kind of i don't know if the word's ostracizing you know, pushed aside. And so if we know what it feels like to be pushed aside in ministry, then it's somehow easier to be draw alongside others who are pushed aside. Um, but yeah, just a, a general sense of, of love and compassion. Um, that's what I think. Okay, so, so in, intuition and, and that softness. Um, softness which embraces love and, and compassion in a way that your, your male counterparts um, most often don't. Okay, thanks Louise. How about for you, Diane? Thanks, Nikki. I think um, I would start with how uh, Louise did, just to say to, to maybe be careful about what we call gender essentialism, that somehow, for example, men men can uh, only do this and women can only do that. Women are the only ones who has intuition and so on. I think we all have different gifts to, and it's irrespective of what gender, uh, what sex you are. But I think in my particular context, um, um, and maybe it's, it's more prominent, uh, but within the Catholic Church, we have a serious abuse crisis, a clergy abuse crisis. And I think the, the presence of a woman especially in this particular priestly role, I think opens up options and perhaps enables those who have been so severely wounded by the church, um, perhaps gives them an option to be able to approach uh, someone in ministry, um, perhaps feeling more, more safe, um, more open uh, to be vulnerable, to bring their wounds, and perhaps it opens up avenues of healing. Um, the other... The other uh, uh, aspect that I would add is that in our particular case, we're making a powerful statement that women too can image Christ. Uh, within the Catholic Church, sadly, uh, it's only men who can represent Christ uh, in, in this particular role. And so for us to stand just simply in our female bodies as a priest is a message that is extremely powerful. Mm. Mm. So, so in, in, in a sense then, Diane, giving, giving that female image um, of God alongside what has always been taken for granted to be yes. a more masculine Yes, image. yes. Mm. And so it's hopefully encouraging also women to step into their own value and their own dignity and to trust their own encounter with God. Mm. Mm. Sure. Thank you. Um, for you, Rabbi? Thank you, Nikki. I think I will talk about Jewish community, but I would believe that it's correct for any community. They become richer with gifts that female rabbis would bring. And we have learned that we can rethink what are the previous models of 
um, leadership. And also we really made it possible for the idea of partnership and networking and building relationship with, uh, with, uh, um, with others instead of having it all in um, our of you know, up to, from top to bottom. And um, I'm sure that many of us saw um, many movies and read and heard that usually what happens is, is that the rabbi comes and uh, usually it will be he, and he will say, this is how it's supposed to be done. And that's it. There is no place to, for the discussion, there is no place to ask questions. And I want that my congregants will know that I am exactly like them and I'm a human being and I can make mistakes. And when I don't know certain verse, um, I will, I don't have an issue to tell them that let me go check and I will come back to you. And I think it, it makes the community to be stronger and more accepting and to be a warmer place for people because they will understand that um, I'm not standing there on some kind of pedestal and, and saying, I know everything um, and you all just need to listen to me. It's the idea that we need to think together and it's for the community. It is for the next generation that we are trying um, our best. And also I think the idea of, from the theological point of view, is that we're allowing to think that what is the language um, that we're using when we're praying and where we want to take this. I mean, I, I think we're blessed because we can think about this and in other communities, it's not even an option. Mm, sure. So almost a, a flattening of some of the hierarchy that traditional um, male roles have, have kind of um, put in place, but also a sense of greater um, inclusivity and that's something I think Diane and um, Louise both alluded to um, was as, as a woman offering um, the softness the intuitive side um, being inclusive um, how about for you um, Najma in, in, in the Muslim community what do you think you as a woman have brought to the work um, the radio um, the radio work that you've been involved with that wasn't there before your voice was heard right um, I'm glad you put the question out that way because I obviously couldn't answer it in the, in the context of a ministry <laughs> so what I can say is that the success of my program um, uh, lies completely I think on the fact that I could offer an emotional connection was not only the female listeners, but the male listeners as well. Uh, because it may have been um, popular with females because I finally, they had a voice. Uh, but I'm happy to say there was an equal balance. In fact, it may, it may have been more that I had male support, which was extremely encouraging. And I think it, I can, I can uh, attribute that to the fact that uh, there was an emotional Mm. Uh, the voice is also very different, you know, uh, radio, imagining the person, right? And um, I, I would often get uh, feedback on the fact that the voice itself is very comforting or encouraging or strong because I, it, it 
depending on the topic that we come across strongly as well. So I think it gave also a different perspective to how people generally uh, viewed women. Uh, if it was, uh, you know, it's not altogether um, in our society that all women are subservient and all women are oppressed. It's not like that. It's just that those that we were reaching were unfortunately the ones that thought they needed to be subservient. And then now you've got this very strong voice there for the males as well. Um, it, it, it brought about this connection that was different. And I think that was what, 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 what led to the, the success. If I may, mm. yeah. Thank you. So real sense from all four of you of, of the importance of the softness the inclusivity, emotional connection um, that perhaps you each brought to your, your roles that was something different to the traditional male male voices and um, you know male figureheads. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Majma. So while whilst we're talking to you, Najma, I'll start the next question with you. Um, just wondering what some of your personal, daily, regular practices or disciplines are that contribute to you being a woman of hope at this time. What are some of your daily practices that strengthen you, that support you? Uh, well, I think that um, simple answer to that is that we lead by example. So um, I'm just myself. I uh, hold on to my values and my convictions and maybe the most important thing is that I know that I have an equal role in society as my male counterpart. And mm -hmm. that's embraced very well because of how we, can, we carry ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not naturally submissive simply because I believe in my integrity and my values and whether it's, uh, it's an association with a, a Muslim male or a, a non-Muslim male, so to speak. Um, I think that that is, uh, for me, uh, what, what has also created a mentor kind of uh, image out there for lots of young women um, and, and men who also look up to women, not just me, uh, that carry themselves with that uh, strength and that confidence. Mm -hmm. So something about learning and being able to carry yourself with strength and confidence. And, and how, how, how do you go about embodying that? How do you um, live that out? Yeah, I, like, I like that question. <laughs> we could be here all day. But um, I can say that, that the, 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 you know, it's it, it believing oneself, first of all, I might sound a little cliche, but I think that um, having overcome those obstacles that you spoke about and having succeeded in, 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 in making uh, a stand for what we believe in and what we represent as Muslim women, I think that in itself has given me the confidence. So in whichever role I am in, in fact, I work at a hospital now, and unfortunately, I, I, I haven't seen any, uh, uh, if you like, discrimination or imbalance with the male role, female role. I don't know about salaries, right? But, um, but I know that has become a contentious issue. Uh, but in, in the context of personality and character and carrying this uh, confidence, 
naive and you just want to stand up and boycott and protest and do all of those things and then you realize where it works and where it doesn't work and um, so it's lessons learned as well it's not just about confidence and it's not just about succeeding but it's also learning from the mistakes that actually bring about this this this, this holistic approach towards uh, being able to be uh, someone that uh, that that, that, that can be strong enough to continue to stand one's ground and believe in one's uh, carry forward one's principles with conviction. Hmm. Hmm. And and are there sort of any particular ways of um, spiritual practice um, that really support support you as you live out your life as you go into each new day? Um, what do you sort of take with you in terms of practices and, and disciplines? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we use the example of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and mm -hmm. uh, try our best to invite um, and use his example of his character and the way he moved forward uh, in everything that he did. So I think with that in mind, it's my guiding principle. Besides the fact that uh, we always, with, with everyone, it's universal in terms of always being God conscious. And there's that God consciousness that in fact brings about the awareness of uh, the behavior and the character and the values that we exude, that we live by. Mm. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much. Um, and Nikki, before yes. you continue. Some people are still struggling to hear Najma. So perhaps if you could all just check your own audio settings. Um, and the suggestion was, Najma, if you wouldn't mind sitting closer to your microphone. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. We'll, we'll keep, keep trying. Um, thanks, Anne. Um, for you, Diane, what are some of the practices, um, disciplines that, that you rely on or that contribute to you being a woman of hope at this time? Nikki, I think for me, um, I absolutely have to maintain a, a, a discipline of prayer. Um, I, I simply cannot be in this wilderness place, this place that totally relies on faith, uh, in this excommunicated place. Uh, in this new realm, which is still unfolding without being rooted and grounded in prayer. Um, so certainly um, um, I have long periods of daily prayer, both morning and evening, um, spiritual reading as well. And I think going with that is an openness to transformation, personal growth, um, putting the word, the word of God into practice um, and not just simply giving it lip service. I think. Um, those would probably be my key key approaches to a daily practice. Mm. And and for those of us that might be curious how a priest prays, when you say <laughs> um, discipline of prayer, <laughs> are, are there particular ways of praying that, that you are personally mm. drawn to? Yeah, I, I have a more contemplative style, so I'm not too sure how many of you are familiar with, for example, centering prayer. Um, it's actually quite an ancient form of prayer, 
So, um, and, and there's quite a bit of material available on, online to unpack it a bit more, but it's very meditative in nature. Um, uh, plus also just general contemplation on the scriptures. And then if I may draw on, on, on my training in Ignatian spirituality, which I know some of you have um, <clears throat> been exposed to, then things like the examen, um, going through your day, finding out, becoming aware of where God has been active, where are the consolations, where are the desolations during the course of the day. And that especially builds a sense of awareness of God's presence and action in my life. Um, and I think the more we grow in awareness, the stronger we become in some way. Mm. Thanks, Diane. Um, so just a, a reminder for those who may want to, to look up some more if they don't already know, um, but the daily examine, um, contemplation, centering prayer. Thanks Correct. for those, Diane. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. How about for you, Louise? Uh, thanks, Nikki. Um, yeah, I think for me, a lot of what Diane said is, is, speaks to me as well. Um, my, my personal favorite, however, is I absolutely love scripture. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I can't tell you how much I love the Bible. Like I, every time I read it, something else, just like God speaks to me in a different way. So that is definitely my primary passion. Um, I also, a couple of years ago, somebody taught me about a, a very healthy lifestyle. So it's about the way that they described it. And this is something that I use in my life. I, I kind of like think about it all the time, asking myself, have I got these things in check? And it's, it's literally, it helps. So it's um, helping other people, you know, so, so I try and find a way to help at least one other person in my life at, at any given time. Um, exercise, like I find that exercise is quite important to me and it doesn't necessarily have to be going to the gym, especially now that gyms are closed. But it's, you know, whether it's playing with my children, painting the house, uh, swimming, walking, whatever, just some form of physical, um, then it's learning something new, whether it's a new skill or, you know, learning out of a new book or, or studying, you know, studying scripture is always my favorite. Um, playing is important to me. Uh, so laughter, like I find laughter is the, it's the one thing that has kept me grounded throughout my whole life. I just, yeah, I, I find that I surround myself with people who make me laugh, uh, you know, try and stay, laughter is, is very important in my life. Um, and then finally, spirituality. So it just helps, you know. Um, spirituality for me, uh, I like to, there, there's a passage where it speaks about pray without ceasing. And, and I, I almost, for me, I imagine that I'm speaking to God all the time. Uh, throughout my day um, so I, I, that for me is is part of how I practice my spirituality other than reading and studying scripture and then I also I, I love to write my prayers out uh, so I often just write letters to God um, especially when I find that I can't when I when I can't pray when I find that I'm really in a space where I don't know how to connect with God for me that is one of the easiest ways is just to write out uh, exactly what I'm feeling. So for me, it's about it's about this this holistic, you know, physical, spiritual, all of it combined. Um, that's how how I try and see 
and it's funny when when one of them fall out of balance it almost like disrupts everything <laughs> you know for me that's how i am anyway hmm. sure thanks louise um also um just wondering um for just in general how does um, a minister read scripture um i know that you're human and we we, we all have our own ways but is there something something in particular that you like to to do when you're reading scripture you know how, how do you receive the scripture that you're reading um okay so i could give you an official answer but i'll rather give you my real answer <laughs> uh, so for me what i do is every time i read scripture i kind of in the back of my head have a few questions the one question i always have is what do i think the people we're going through when the scripture was written for them. So like, you know, you know what was what was happening behind the scenes in the scripture? Uh, then the next question I ask myself is what could God possibly be saying to me? Uh, and then I, I, I say, I have this little way where I kind of go like, Lord, show me something I've never seen before. I just, I just want to see something about this passage of scripture that I've never seen before. And those are kind of the three questions that I ask for myself every time I read scripture um, and then I read a lot of other stuff around scripture so I'll read other people's uh, interpretations on the scripture as well and try and see where where it's going for me but, but I really like those three questions as I'm reading it's just you know what was happening at the time of the scripture you know what is God perhaps saying to me and then is there something that I've never seen before so, sure. don't know if it answers your question. You. Yes, it does. Thank you. Are you open yeah. to the element of surprise as well? Oh, I love surprises. <laughs> Thank you. And for you, Rabbi, what are some of your favorite practices or, or disciplines? I think my favorite would be, I would say, just being in, in a place where I can be on my own and to have my time with God and to have my time with myself. Um, and I think it's really important. So I figure out that around 4.30 in the morning, that is the perfect time because, um, and even then um, I'm, I'm sitting and answering emails to congregants and then they answer me and they say, oh, we're really worried about you. <laughs> so you're trying to you know, find this peace in order to have you know, a moment and to do it. Um, but even that, you know, you can't win. But I think the idea of meditation and walks and um, just this quiet time with myself and the scripture and the readings. And um, I always loved literature, but uh, lately it's all coming back. So it's, it's, it's uh, as I always say, the, the, the blessing during this curse time is that I can just read more. Um, and this is what I think is needed more. So I, I'm sure I, I didn't hear you correctly when you said you're up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> I send you email or WhatsApp at that time of the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we'll start with you for this one then, Rabbi. Um, th there's a notion, um, a saying that I really, I really enjoy. Um, that suggests that we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us, not because we have keener vision or greater height, but because we are lifted up and borne aloft on their gigantic statures. 
So I'm wondering whose shoulders you stand on. Um, wow, I have I have a lot. <laughs> um, I think my mother again, um, because she taught me that everything is possible. And um, when 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 I had those moments, like all of us, when I was doing my studies in theology, and I would say, "That's it, I'm 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 dropping it. I'm not doing it again, and I can't." And then she would remind me that she did it in an absolutely foreign language, and you know, and 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 and, and then I say, "Okay, perhaps I shouldn't be." Um, so harsh and I should just continue and you know receive with gratitude what I'm what I'm getting but um, also I would say um, I'm thinking a lot about Regina Jonas and she was the first female rabbi that was ever ordained and it was before she was born in Berlin in the beginning of the um, last century and um, she basically made a history of becoming the world's first officially ordained female rabbi in Berlin in 1935, and she was killed in um, Auschwitz in 1942. And back in that time, it was a private ordination because as, as, as we do have colleges already in that time, the dean, for example, of the college in England that she applied um, said that he cannot ordain women. So it was okay for men, but not for women. And she received a private ordination and um, she actually could never be a congregational rabbi. And during the Holocaust, she was consulting and she was trying to help people in the camps. And I think it's really beautiful example that doesn't matter what, and even if she did not receive an official ordination, this was her calling and this is what she wanted to, to do. And she really um, inspires me. Of course, I mean, I could, I could sit here until tomorrow and give you different um, amazing role models from Bible and, you know, from, from literature. There are many, and I'm grateful that there are many because we do need, um, you know, this kind of hope and uh, uh, the idea. But, but the funny one is that my Hebrew name is um, Abigail, which means um, father's joy. And I think um, not many women actually know the story of Abigail in the Bible. And, and she was actually amazing woman on her own merit and, and how she um, became a role model to many. So maybe one time when we will have time, we can just unpack that and, and speak about mm. her quite a lot. Would love to hear more about her. Thank you. Um, you mean? Mentioned the, the first um, rabbi. Could you just repeat her name for us? Regina Jonas, R E G I N A Jonas. When you will, for example, if you will go to you know um, Rabbi Google, then obviously the answer will be um, Sally Freisland in 1972 in America, and it is also true because she was ordained in HUC Hebrew Union College and official institution that is giving uh, a smicha for, for, for rabbis. Because it was private ordination, it's a debate. Was she mm. first one? Or some would say that it's not really a first one. But again, mm. it's an old question how we take mm. it and what we want to do with this knowledge. Mm. 
and she lost her life at Auschwitz, she said. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. So your mum and people like Regina that have gone before you and yes. have encouraged you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, Najma, how about you? Who are some of the shoulders that you stand on? Well, I can also say my mother. My mother was a very strong woman. She was a single mother at a very young age. And uh, I think her strength, uh, like we said, you know, learned by example. And I think she's left a lot for me to learn from her. So I stand on her shoulders for sure. But I also do have many other uh, role models that, you know, we can go on naming. And um, also, as, you, as, as I've thought about it now when you asked the question, my late brother is also someone that uh, I would stand on his shoulders, you know, because um, I learned a lot from him. We had a lot in common, and he was one of my greatest, greatest supporters whenever I tried sure. something. So, and especially when it came to my broadcaster here and um, with the whole world against me, I think he was one of the that actually stood by me, uh, you know, always supporting me. So, mm -hmm. yes, I think about him. And then um, there's also the, um, the, the particular wife of the Prophet Muhammad, if you find Mr. Khadija. Uh, so, I, you know, if, if we have an opportunity to talk about her remarkable character and personality as well. And she was a businesswoman. She was a very successful businesswoman. She was looked up to by men. She employed men. She was uh, a senior in her community, uh, looked up to and respected very much. So I think that one one female role model that really there was no patriarchy in that in that role that she played. She just was who she was. Uh, mm -hmm. An extremely uh, strong woman and spiritually very strong as well. So. Um, I, I like that question. Thank you so much. It made me think about certain things, yeah. And uh, who is it that we actually stand on the shoulders of? Thanks for mm. that. Mm. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. And you said her name, the, Muhammad's um, wife was Khadija. How would you pronounce that again? Khadija. Yeah. Khadija, yes. Okay. It's K-H, uh, but it's pronounced uh, Khadija. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Diane, for you. Um, I think like Julia, uh, there are a number, um, both personal, family, but also going way back into history. Let's go to the scriptures. I think for me, the most powerful woman is Mary Magdalene. Um, apostle to the apostles, go out and tell the whole world. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we certainly stand, I certainly stand on her shoulders. Um, and then coming through the course of history um, to perhaps now to, to modern era, there are some very powerful women theologians. Um, I'm thinking of Elizabeth Johnson, for example. She is just <laughs> so amazing in her theology. The two things that just come to mind now, uh, the way she can uh, describe God in female terms to uh, look at our language and to see how skewed our language is about God uh, and how it's actually restricted uh, our faith and our well-being because we have such limited images of God. Um, and she also talks about 
something called the NOAA principle. And that's the whole principle of, do you just predict the rain or do you build an arc? And us in the RCWP movement are certainly about building the arc. We're not just pointing out and saying, well, this is wrong and this is bad and this is not okay. We're building the arc. Um, so hopefully it'll float one day and take in many more people. Mm. Um, and then I think uh, much more closer to home in terms of, of my movement, uh, the seven women who were ordained in 2002 who started the, the movement um, and the whole process of, of Catholic women's ordination, I certainly stand on their shoulders. And then probably the person in our movement uh, who has ordained well over 50%, I mean, I don't know uh, numbers wise, but she has certainly exponentially grown our movement, um, is right here from South Africa. And she is with us today, and that's Patricia Friesen, Bishop Patricia Friesen. So she is certainly one of the, the sets of shoulders that we stand on as a movement, and certainly that I stand on. Mm. Thank you, Diane, and thank you, uh Bishop as well, thank you for being with us today so that we can, can honor you in this way by naming you. Thank you. Louise, for you. Um, yeah, thank you, Nikki. I think everyone is kind of like, I agree that the whole sense of there's people that I haven't met before in history uh, and then people closer to home. Um, so maybe I'd start with those closer to home is yeah my mom is a very strong woman as well uh but my grandparents both of them my, my grandmother and my grandfather they were very staunch afrikaans uh in here people uh, and they were quite like traditionalist in the sense that didn't agree with women going into ministry and when i expressed a call to them they surprised me by supporting me fully and they actually encouraged me and helped me. And I figured if they could support me, anyone could. Um, and they were really a foundation for me um, just because they caught me by surprise with their support. Uh, another one is a pastor when I was a teenager. She was a lay pastor in the Methodist church. Her name was uh, Vivian Over. And, you know, I she just... She just had this way of encouraging me to, to reach my best potential. Um, and she really made a way for me personally to go into ministry. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be in ministry. Uh, and then also uh, Corrie Ten Boom. I don't know if anyone's ever read any of her books, but you know, some of her work has been very inspiring for me. And then uh, from scripture is definitely, there's a whole bunch of women in scripture uh, that I that relate to. Um, but yeah, and, oh, and also uh, some of my male colleagues, like Gavin Landers, he's a colleague that I currently work with, and um, he has just been uh, absolutely amazing in terms of my developments and encouraging me to reach my full potential. Um, so yeah, not to mention all the Methodist female ministers that have gone before me, including our, our current presiding bishop, uh, you know, it's just, actually, there's so many, <laughs> I can't even start, you know. It's a wonderful conversation to start having, though, um, just as we, we we name them by name, and I don't know, there's just a sense of, of, of honour um, when we do name these strong women that have gone before us, and men. 
on whose shoulders to stand. Yeah. Thanks, Louise. What would your message of encouragement be to the next generation of groundbreaking women who will one day be standing on your shoulders? Maybe we can start with you, Louise. Um, sure, Nikki. <laughs> my, my favorite verse in all of the Bible is Romans 12 verse 2, which says, don't conform any longer to the standards of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's good and perfect and pleasing will. And, and I think that would be my advice is, is just a few fold is number one is don't, don't fit into other people's mold. Like other people might expect you to be something. Don't, don't, don't feel like you have to fit anyone else's mold. Just be yourself. You know, however you are, learn to be yourself, appreciate yourself. Um, the second one is transform your mind, you know, learn as much as you can about who you are, about who God is for you, um, about society, challenge everything, question everything, uh, be who you are. And then, you know, don't, you know, just be yourself and do what makes you, what gives you life, whatever gives you life, do that. Whether somebody says that you shouldn't traditionally do that or not, just do whatever gives you life. Um, that would be, is don't conform to the standards of this world, but be transformed and allow yourself to just be who you are. Sure. Powerful words. Thanks, Louise. Najma, how about you? If, if, uh, if you had to give words of, of advice or encouragement to young broadcasters um, wanting to follow in your footsteps and stand on your shoulders, um, what, what words of encouragement might you offer to them? Nikki, there's, a, there's an adage that I love by, and I think it kind of sums everything up, and that is what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Sure. And I think that when you have a forum and a, and a platform that reaches many, many, many people, then one needs to be um, conscientious of what it is that you that you that you uh, uh, you know sharing, and what is it about you that you're giving to people. And I think that then becomes uh, a responsibility, and you become accountable. So you can't just speak and not uh, act. You know, so so this then forces one to become more aware of one's role and the impact one can have uh, with your words and with your actions. Mm. So that, that sense of um, accountability um, mm -hmm. would encourage them to be, be accountable for their actions and um, what, they, what they do in, in the world. Yes, yes. So it's, a, it's a responsibility we all have here. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Mm. Thank you. Rabbi, for you. I think I would encourage um, next generation just um, to be able to dream and also to be able to do whatever their heart desires. And even if it's a very tough journey, it's worth every second. And perhaps I could have said that, you know, sometimes people say to me, if you knew now what all these challenges that you had to 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 look at would you still do it and i would say yes 
um, despite tears and despite and there are a few people um, on this group that saw me in in my worst of tears and you know being um, being there and and it just it's fine because um, we all we all create were created in the image of God and um, God doesn't have a problem with us crying therefore um, if God doesn't have a problem then who are we you know to to judge but um, I think the idea is that in the end of the day, you need to be absolutely um, happy with yourself and you need to know that this is the right choice for you and this is the right path. And um, I, I said always to myself that in the end of the day, when I will meet a creator and he will ask me, he, she um, will ask me, did you do everything according to your conscience and did you do everything the way you believe it? Um, I want to be very honest and to say yes and I think this is what I would want that our next generation will be able to learn mm, thank you thank you very much thank you. for you Diane wow so much of what I want to say has already been said but I, I think I would add then um, to be courageous and and by courageous I was uh, doing some reading around what courage is and uh, one of the quotes by David White, who's a, quite a famous writer and, and poet, is to, it's courage is to stay close to the way we are made. And so there's something about being authentic, your word and your action being equal, being the same, your inner and your outer being the same. And so there's something about integrity. There's something about how we are made in the image of God, respecting ourselves, which means that actually we must respect others as well. And so we can change the world relationship by relationship um, and we can start. So that would be my, my words, mm. if you like. Mm. Thanks, Diane. So that kind of concludes the questions that I had um, prepared to ask everybody. Um, and we have a little bit of time left. And I'm just wondering if there are people um, in, in our circle, in the group today, who might have a question for um, one of our ladies of courage um, and who might like to either type it or um, would like to ask it. And here I am going to rely on, on Anne and, and Jackie because I can't see all your faces on the screen at the same time, just to let me know if somebody's got their hand up somewhere. Thank you, Nontando. Thanks. Nontando writes, courage is to stay as close to who we are made. Um, change the world relationship by relationship. Thanks for your comments, Nontando. Any questions or wonderings? Mickey, I don't have a question or a, a wondering. Um, I just have a, a huge compliment for these four ladies who, and for you, the five of you, collectively, who are just re-narrativing the, um, the discourse of what women should and shouldn't be doing you know as a mom of a little girl she's nine got the whole world at her feet and um she's going to be standing on your shoulders and i was actually quite emotional when i put it all together to say wow isabella 
has this as a foundation, you know, and, and all the hard work that, that you've had to put in. So thank you from as a mom. Thank you for that. Baby. Thanks, Jackie. May I just suggest and that in, in, at the bottom of your screen, there's a reactions um, little icon. If you want to say something, could you just wave and then we can pick it up that way? Perhaps it would be easier. Thanks for that, Anne. I see Patricia's got her hand up. I would be very pleased to hear what something about your pastoral ministry as a rabbi, as a priest, as a minister, what is your pastoral ministry like with your community? Who might like to respond? Well, it'll have to be the others because I'm not accounting to my bishop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Diane, you're, you're excused for this one. <laughs> So Rabbi and Friend Louise. I mean, I could say a few words. I don't know if while, while they're, they're thinking. Um, I don't yes, know please. if that's... Okay. So, so just, I mean, you know, um, Bishop Friesen, you know, you know you're part of, of, of my community. Um, and maybe just to say that I think currently in this pandemic, one of the greatest gifts, and I'm going to say that one of the greatest gifts of this time has been entering more deeply into an online world and making use of the gifts of technology. And in my experience, currently, this, this, the growth of the online community and the ability to be able to create relationships and community online is certainly becoming clear. And, and it's connecting people and families from around the world who can now gather in spiritual places. Um, I, I think this is a powerful ministry that's unfolding uh, the world over at the moment. So, yeah, I, I don't know, Trish, if that speaks to, to your question, but it certainly is one of the yes. powerful parts of, of our ministry now, I would say. Yes, I'm experiencing myself how powerful that is. And thank you for bringing it up at this time. Maybe I will continue because I, that's okay. Because the idea is that my movement, because this progressive movement is the only one who's having services online um, at this point. And I think it's something that people really miss and, um, I'm, I'm grateful that we can use this technology and not to be and, and to be able to provide literally everything um, as if it was usual um, Friday or Saturday service. And I always said and I always believe that we do need to understand that we're living in 21st century and not back in some place and back in Europe in 18th century where, you know, life was different, therefore we do need to use it. And um, as Diane said, I mean, we are privileged. Um, last night at my service, I had people from literally all over the world. I had people from America, Israel, um, Europe, Australia, and etc. cetera. So um, in, every, in every cursor is a blessing, and this is our blessing. But unfortunately, I do know that we are doing much more um, funerals than it would have been in the usual period of time. 
I spoke um, just last week with a with the president of the burial society for the Jewish community, and um, if on a regular basis um, there would be, let's say, ten or twenty funerals a month, this uh, last month there was more than 114. So it is something that we do need to think about, and it's it's not in our um, hand but we do need to be there for all those families and we do need to be there for the community that they will be able to approach us and to be there for us and we will be there for them. Thanks, Julia. Um, Nantanda, we'll come to you next, but I just want to read out Francis's comment to, to Julia. Um, she, she writes, I've seen the impact of your services on one of my close friends, helping her to stay connected. Um, and sane as a single mom, very isolated in the pandemic. And I'm grateful that she's felt free to join your services on this. So that's for you, Julia. Um, okay. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think if I could say from our side as well, um, yeah, definitely the online services have, have actually reached a whole group of people that we weren't previously able to reach. Um, I agree with Rabbi Julia, the amount of funerals we've done has increased tremendously, particularly in the last month. Um, but the one other aspect that, that we've been able to plug into where previously we weren't able to as much is um, just you know, helping the vulnerable in terms of feeding people, uh, providing food parcels. Um, that has been, uh, you know, it's been an opportunity if I could say opportunity, it's it's opened our eyes and it's made people a lot more generous. I found that people have become a lot more generous in this season in order to help other people who are struggling. And the church has been able to be a hub where people can give to so that we can give out. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Louise. Um, can we just go to Matando? And before, I just um, want you to go Carolyn and Greg have been waiting for quite a while to ask a question. Oh, okay. Sorry, I just saw it coming up. Okay, so um, Nontando, Caroline, and then Greg. We can go in that order. Uh, thanks very much. I just want to uh, thank the form Bogodos that are in the house. Thank you so much for what you represent and for who you are. And uh, I really appreciate that. I just want to share a very crazy vision that I had just listening to, to you. And I, I think I can be in a space where I can be crazy and I'm over 60 so that if anything happens, they can always say, you know, she can have some kind of consultation, uh, but I'll still be insane. I think I, I'm giving myself that permission uh, to be insane. Um, so I, I was just thinking of public theology. And in my mind, I just kind of saw uh, the need for um, for, for women to hear these voices, uh, this is something happens like now on, um, you know, gender-based violence. And then there'll be a panel of all the form Bogodos in the house just commenting on that so that women can hear that this, whatever is happening, uh, there is a united voice coming from all the religions to say, this is not acceptable. This is what we can do from women. So I kind of just had this flash of a kind of a public forum where uh in whether it's uh, radio or tv whatever where you know just the just the the women from the different traditions can comment 
can say this is in ways in which because there is no public space where women are hearing an alternative voice consistently. And so it was, it's just a dream that I'm putting out there. Uh, yeah, that's my insanity for the day. And uh, <laughs> you, you feel free to categorize me in whatever uh, insane groups they are, but that's my insanity for today. <laughs> Thanks, Nontanda. Nontanda, you're not crazy, you're not insane. We as women have to keep speaking and speaking and speaking and having forums that we continue to share our experiences, our stories. Um, there is a lot that needs to be changed. So thank you. Thanks, Diane. Um, I think it was Caroline next, and then Greg, and then Samu. Caroline, if you'd like. Thank you. I just want to say thank, thank you for having this panel. I mean, I'm Jewish. I know Rabbi Julia, and I just want to say to see like an interfaith, non-denominational panel is so inspiring. I know a few years ago. I think Nintendo organized something at the church in Brown I think this must happen as an annual thing because I think someone who's going through something in the Catholic church, I can see aspects of that in different fields. And it's not just about within religion, it's about within all spheres of life. So I want to say, well done to everyone. Please keep this as an annual thing. And, and it's so good for me, even as a congregant, to see women in leadership positions, because it means that women can be in leadership positions in any field. So it's very inspiring. So it's not just that you're going through struggles. We're all going through struggles in our own fears, fields. And I know there's such sexism within South Africa that even being Jewish, some of my Jewish Orthodox friends can't even imagine that there could be a woman rabbi. It's just it's just seen like so crazy to them, but it's just because we live in such an ignorant society. And they're going to Zoom because it's opening up more opportunities. But generally, South Africa is a very conservative society. So I want to wish you all the best in all the fields that you're going through. And thank you for having this panel. Thanks, Caroline. Thank you for your feedback. Pleasure. Um, where you gone, Greg? Greg has uh, written a comment. Um, so he says, no question, just complimenting all those ladies for what they do and just being here, doing what they're doing now is courageous. I have massive respect for women who stand up and share their voices, especially in the world we live in today. Thank you. Thanks, Greg, and thanks for reading that out, Anne. So then we can go to you and Samu. Hello, good, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I, <laughs> maybe let me just premise what I wanted to share. There's something attractive about voices from the wilderness, you know, that, that, that sentiment from, uh, I think it's right at the beginning of the Gospels, that there's a voice crying out in the wilderness. There's a voice crying out in the wilderness. And there's something that makes me believe that voice, a voice crying out, a voice crying out in the wilderness is, is the voice to be listened to. And how that, e that can easily get lost with mainstreaming. And um, uh, mainstreaming becomes very dogmatic. It becomes so obsessed with what it looks like. It, 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 it's almost, um, to use the word, it becomes so self-absorbed. It's about maintenance, it's about, um, uh, and then the corruption comes in, whereas a voice 
place crying out in the wilderness, it, even though it can be quite lonely out there, it can be disturbing to be out in the margins, but there's something authentic about that voice that listens to much more than just what the body requires, much more than the optics of what is. Uh, and, and so that attracts me. And the hearing from you is not just inspiring, but it's, it's challenging at the same time, inviting me to pay attention to that voice that is speaking from the wilderness not seeking to be mainstreamed, but to speak truth from the outside. Uh, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering about, you, you used, I think it was Diane who used the expression excommunicated place, from this excommunicated place. And I thought that was a beautiful image, um, even though it might be quite painful. What about being on the margins is inspiring for you? Um, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, is there something there around the spirituality of the margins? Lovely question. Thank you, Nsamu. I think, wow, there's a lot to your question. I love living on the margins. I wouldn't want to be living in the heart of an institution uh, where you are controlled, uh, where um, uh, you, you are dependent on uh, the institution, you're told what to think and how to think, and you're also told who you can and cannot love, um, who you can and cannot be friends with. There is an incredible freedom in the margins, uh, and, and certainly within the, in the Catholic Church, uh, and, and I won't even try and speak on behalf of anyone else, but there are so many on the margins. Um, I'm thinking, of course, of gay people. I'm thinking of divorced and remarried people. We, we don't have a great track record there. Um, I'm thinking of any of those who are excluded from receiving communion. Uh, so quite frankly, there are quite a few people on the margins and um, there, is, there is such a degree of freedom, meaningfulness, uh, relationships, um, where one is free to love and one is free to trust your encounter with God and you're not uh, being told what to believe and how to believe it uh, in a way that diminishes your dignity or diminishes your faith. Um, so, and, and we see many, many prophets going before us, many saints. And, and for me, one of the key saints who did this was St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, he practiced uh, being church out there on the margins where he was. Um, and so a new kind of church grew there. And I think that's where church must be. It's not inside the basilicas and inside these great big buildings. We're the church. So thank you. Thanks for the question, Samu, And thank you, Diane, for responding. Um, any other questions um, that anybody else might have? We've just got a couple of minutes to go. Anne and Jackie, I don't know if you can see any anybody. You're on mute, Jax. Francis oh, has got a question. Francis has got a question. Francis, oh, thank you. Francis? Hi. So one of the things that's really struck me as I've listened to the four of you and just pondering some of the questions and responses that we're hearing is I'm really struck by the experience of being excluded and of being marginalized makes us 
less needing to remain um, bound by our own silos. And so it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm really struck by, it's not the first time I've seen Diane or Rabbi Julia in interfaith encounters, that there is, that there is an awareness of the invitation to step out of whatever silo I happen to be in. And we all have multiple little silos in ourselves, our culture, our church, our faith, our upbringing, our sexual orientation. But once we feel the pain of exclusion in one of those places, my own sense is that it opens us to every other place of exclusion that we may encounter. So I don't know if that's a comment or a question, but it's, it's what I was noticing as I was listening today. Thank you, Francis. Thanks for the comment. Thanks for the noticing. Would you like a response from anybody? Would, you, would any, any of the, the panel like to respond to, to Francis? I would like, please. <laughs> I think um, it, was, it, it was a good observation. And yes, it is true that Francis um, saw us in different panels. And it is something that we speak about. And I think when, between the clergy, when you understand that you're not the only one that has this issue, um, it's some kind of um, maybe easier to go home and, you know, to cry on your pillow because you're not alone there. Because sometimes, and, and, and being a um, female rabbi, being only female rabbi, it's quite a lonely place to be, I have to say. And sometimes I feel that it's easier for me to go, uh, and I'm absolutely honest with me, to, to my colleagues from different um, faiths and to share it with them than with my um, colleagues that are rabbis because of the idea of in any case doesn't matter what you will be judged um, you will be judged because you didn't do ABCD according to the um, guide if there is one that exists but also the idea that um, you you feel that you have to fight for everything and at some point you just don't have any more energy and you don't want to be in this mood of fighting and all the time being better and proving and you just want that you will be you know left alone to do what you want to do and to do your calling and not all the time to say that you know maybe stop calling me female rabbi just call me rabbi on that day when people will start calling me um rabbi julia margolis then i know that my work is done and not female rabbi <laughs> because in the end of the day it doesn't really matter um, judge me according to what the work that I'm doing, not according to my gender or, uh, you know, what, what car I'm driving or what kind of uh, hairstyle I have. So, yeah, I think that um, kind of helps. So thank you for talking about that. Thanks for responding, Julia. Any, any other questions? You need to ask a question that I cannot see hands off. Um, if you yeah, just indicate to me. It's Fiona oh, hi. Yeah, just following from what Rabbi Julia said, um, I just want to comment on the potential for men of women coming into their own. Um, just recalling um, as a white person living through the end of apartheid, how liberating it was um, to become part of a much broader family 
And I think that there's that potential for men as well, um, as women come into their own. Thanks, Fiona. Okay, so perhaps if I can um, just draw to a close for today, um, a, a reminder, I think, from a mentor and colleague, Henry Paul and Campbell, um, who wrote an article yesterday that calls for us to stand against the commercialization of Women's Day, which in South Africa occurs tomorrow, recognize the struggles of those who went before us, to name and celebrate the women of courage in our lives. She posed a question which I offered you this afternoon. What can we do to support women of courage? Hopefully, um, as we've done today, it notice them. And in um, Anne-Marie's words, to tell them, I see you, I applaud your courage, keep going. And so to, to four ladies, our four guests today, we applaud you, uh, we applaud your courage, um, and please keep going. We, we look forward to with. Um, will you pass that message on to the woman whose shoulders you stand on tomorrow, um, as, as we have done today? Thank you, everyone, for, for joining us and for the rich and vibrant conversation today. From my heart to yours, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for organizing this. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bishop. Thank you, Najma, and yeah, we, we celebrate you. <laughs>